So I got a little bit of feedback on our first episode of Atomic Habits for Accountants, part one. First, my wife listened. She said that I didn't introduce Twyla, so I thought I would do that now. She's kind of like Madonna in that she only needs to go by one name. Do you know any other Twylas in the accounting profession? Because I don't. She's the fresh princess. You can go back and listen to her full-length episode as a guest. It's one of our earliest episodes on the Sons of CPAs. So check out the episode titled The Fresh Princess. She is the distinguished director of the accountant channel and leader of the FreshBooks Accounting Partner Program. She supports and empowers other accounting professionals as they help small businesses flourish. Twyla is intentional with everything she does, and she's intentional about recording this beautiful mini-series. Thank you, Twyla, for joining me and creating this mini-series with me. This is round two. And also, another very special shout-out Check out Vic, Vimo Bava, CPA, on Twitter. He's doing the VPD experiment, Twyla's baby. He's starting it. He's on day five. Vic sent me a message on Twitter. He said, I have some brutal feedback from a nine-year-old. I was listening to your podcast in the car, part one, and in the intro when you said, I am pumped, my kid said, he doesn't sound too pumped. Well, I better pump it up now just for you, Drew. Just kidding. I hope you guys are enjoying your cricket match. Shout out to Vic and Drew for giving me that feedback. I will definitely try and sound more pumped. I'm trying to take these book reports seriously. I'm trying to put on my best face here. So that's a quick shout out for Vic there. We'll get started here. This is part two of Atomic Habits for Accountants. You can go back and listen to part one, the fundamentals. This, we go into the four laws of behavior change. We set the stage a little bit at the beginning. I hope you guys are enjoying this series. This is part two of three. So we recorded this about a month after we had started. So I hope you guys enjoy this, this part two. And don't forget to subscribe for more Accounting High, a.k.a. still Sons of CPAs. Tell your friends. Share it on socials. Hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks. Hello and welcome to Fresh Book Reports, a mini-series brought to you by Accounting High where we discuss books and topics that bridge the gap between mental, physical, and emotional health for you, the modern accounting professional, with your hosts, Scott Scarano and Twyla Verhelst. What's the purpose of this, Twyla? Why are we doing this? You know what, when we came together and had this idea to do this, we wanted to talk about books, give our take on books, and really share insights into what we got from reading books that maybe a lot of the profession has read before or the profession has never heard of before. As it relates to accounting, and I read a lot of business books and a lot of like nonfiction type books. So I, I always ask potential clients and just people that I'm meeting with, what do they recommend? Books, podcasts, different content. And one thing that I get overwhelmingly a lot is Atomic Habits. First fresh book report. That's today's conversation. 
Yeah, I'm excited about this book. The universe was telling me something when three, at least three different people had asked me if I had read this book and three different areas of my life had asked me if I had read this book. So it's like, that right. tells you something when it's different areas of your life too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, different audiences or different people. It was time to read this book. <laughs> yeah, habits are very, very powerful and framing it the right way and how it relates to our life, our family, our business. You gotta have your mental and physical health in check to be able to do anything else. Yep, yep. Let's take let's take a step back because some people maybe never heard of this book versus other people listening have perhaps well, read it to, once or more. Shout out to James Clear, the yeah. author. Yep. He's built his brand around this book. This is like his magnum opus, his masterpiece. I think it's a masterpiece. And this is my third time reading it. And I think I got more out of it this time than I did the first two times. Yeah. And interesting because as I've been reading this book, I've, you know, when you buy a certain car, all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere. I feel like when I start reading this book now, all of a sudden I see oh, that yeah, others yeah. are reading this book. And I've seen other people saying similar that they are rereading it or that they almost make it an annual ritual with, say, the turn of the calendar or after tax time, uh, that they reread this book. So rituals. Think, we'll get mm -hmm. into rituals. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good ritual. And it's almost like, uh, because I've oh, already been doing it every two years, I'll, I'll set it aside for 2024. I, I think I'll do it like every two year turn on this, all the even years. <laughs> I'll read this book again. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I, it, I love it. to me, I think it's it's the foundation of being mentally and physically fit, good habits, and building on those and evolving them over time. And my understanding of the book has evolved over time too. You know, it, it's a great book and it's an easy read, but it's also something that changes based on your perspective and your your worldview during that time. Um, you may get different things out of it. Yeah. Absolutely. We always get different things out of a book or a movie or a TV show, or in some cases, a conversation. If you ever watch a conversation back, maybe you've rewatched the Sons of C or re listen to the Sons of CPAs episodes and you just hear different things each time, right? And so I oh, think yeah, the, yeah. The books are magical like that, that you can reread the same book at a different point in your life and you pick up on different things based off what you need. So definitely a book worth reading over and over for that reason. So I think that happened a lot during our conversations and that's why I, I wanted to do this because we tend to focus on a lot of the same things in our interactions and, and a lot of that does surround mental health, physical health and emotional health and we can get into the emotional side later. I don't think this really goes too deep into it but mm. to be continued on the emotional side. Yeah, maybe. Maybe the next book, maybe there's an Easter egg there. Yeah. I think I think that James Clear does a really good job at the beginning of this book of setting the stage about the content to come. And I think we all probably know in one way or another, said one way or another, that habits are a good thing to have, that doing small things leads to results, that we kind of know that in some capacity. But I think he did a really good job of outlaying just exactly what impact that can have. And I think just the way he spells it out really, for me, got me invested in why I should be taking habits more seriously and making them part of my day-to-day. Because -day. I, I think I have a lot of habits and, and 
probably some good and some bad. Good but or bad. <laughs> it wasn't ever when you talk about attention or even intention, not necessarily as intentional as it could have been versus the way he laid it out. It's like, this is worth spending some time on. Not unlike your practice where, you know, you're you're trying to spend time maybe on workflows or processes or systems that it's the same idea of like, why would you take that time to pause and invest in kind of a step back to take some steps forward? And I thought he did a good job of, I'll say selling that to me, like really explaining sure. it to me in a way that I was bought into saying, okay, I, I want to know more about the details about why habits are important. Well, the, they can be the foundation of your identity. We talked about the foundation and the fundamentals. And if you need a refresher on those fundamentals, pause this and check out our first part in this series, Atomic Habits for Accountants. Do you want to start with the four laws of behavior change? You want to go over what those are? Yeah, let's go over those because I found those really, they layered onto one another. So yeah, let's start, let's start there with what he identifies. So the first one, the first of four laws of behavior change is to make it obvious. What did you get from that law, Scott? What does make it obvious mean to you? Yeah, so designing your environment around those habits to make them easier. And with that one, immediately just think of breaking bad habits and making invisible. The beauty of this is each one of these laws of behavior change are re in, inverted or, or reversed to break bad habit. So to build a good habit is make it obvious, but to break a bad habit, make it invisible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely relate to making it invisible. And a big habit that I broke was last year was a medication that I used to take, Klonopin, anti-anxiety. And in order to make that invisible, I got rid of all of it. It didn't, ever, didn't go refill it. I didn't keep some as a stockpile just in case I needed it. I got rid of all of it, flushed it, because I decided I don't think I need this anymore. It was very difficult, but I made it very invisible. Making it invisible is is a way to break a bad habit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. And I I think every time that, in each of these laws, I think there was always both sides. Like how do you reinforce new or good habits that you already have versus how do you break old habits? So I just want to pause and say kudos to you for, for what you did do last year, because I'm sure that wasn't easy. Was and, and thanks for sharing hard. that. That <laughs> was very difficult. I had been taking that for 15 years and to wow. stop that it changed everything now being on the other side of it it's easy to talk about but oof, that was a whirlwind of a time right then so mm -hmm. well congrats for being where you're at now i just want to pause and, and acknowledge that well we all have bad habits we'd like to break and we all have good habits we'd like to start i think understanding how to break them and and how to start them is the key and that's what this book does <laughs> is help us understand it as humans, why we do the things that we do. Yeah. The other thing uh, that I found from the obvious, uh, I'll give you actually two, but they kind of they kind of tie, was when you talked about the environment, was creating the space to do the habit. And, and he described in the book that even in the smallest apartment, you can create space to do certain habits. So if a habit is to read every night, if a habit is to journal every morning, if a habit is to 
clean out your inbox, whatever that habit is that you're trying to establish is to create a certain space that becomes your environment that then ends up being a cue. So I thought that was really interesting and it's especially interesting now as we we start to head into travel season. I know Scott, uh, you're traveling uh, soon, I'm traveling soon. I'm sure others that are listening to this are traveling and that sometimes traveling can be a, a breaker of our good habits. And and I, what I liked to, described in, in here about it being obvious is when you get to that new location to recreate some of those spaces that you have successfully held onto your habit, you know, in your home environment or your office environment. So I really loved thinking about that and how I haven't been somebody who does that, or at least not consistently. But I'll tell you now, when I travel uh, in a few weeks, I'm, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try it on to see if I can keep up some of the habits that I've built here and recreate them and not be the, I'm the person who breaks habits when I travel, but rather my identity being I'm the person who keeps habits when I travel. Yeah. And, and have a plan for if things break down and have a plan to get back on track too. Definitely have a plan to keep the habits that I have started to form again over the past few months as I travel over the next few months. So I've been home for about three months plus. Now I'm going to be away for a few months. I'm going to try to keep things tight while I'm away too. We'll see how that goes. I'll check back in on that. Well, some of the travels we can, uh, if you go further in the, into the book, they talk about accountability partners. We can do some check-ins right. on one another because we'll be traveling to similar places or same Absolutely. places. So, so we'll be able to do that. in the beginning too, part of making it obvious is to identify things. And, and he talks about habit scorecard to evaluate what your current habits are and make it in plain sight because we tend to be in denial about the things we are or are not doing. In general, our minds are fuzzy places and, oh yeah, I did that every day for the past few days. If you're not tracking it, you probably didn't do it for a couple days at a time. You just did it today, you know? So let's be real <laughs> and track things. That's something I'm doing now is tracking a lot of different habits every day. And if I miss a day, I know because I'm tracking them every day and that's part of the habit. The habit is to track them. Mm -hmm. So that's the habit that I have to keep up with. And I, if I can do that, then I can see everything else that I'm doing or not doing. All right, let's circle back on that habit tracking that you're doing um, in when we get further into the laws, because I think that's gonna be tied in one of our one of the next laws. For but sure. Let's talk about the second law, which uh, is to make it attractive. What does this mean to you when it when you hear make it attractive? Satisfying. I think that a lot of things that we do, we do repeatedly because we enjoy them, especially in the short term. So I'll go into the bad habit part of this. This bad habits tend to be very, very easy and satisfying in the short term. Good habits can be very difficult and just hard to keep up with in the short term because there's nothing that satisfying. It's hard. It's hard to work out every day. It's hard to change how you do something the way you naturally feel. Like it's, you're changing your muscle memory, you're changing your routines and it's going to hurt. Making it attractive first, we have to create the desire to 
do whatever it is you're trying to do because the first few times you do it, it might feel good, proud of yourself, but then it could get boring. It could get too routine. You fall back into the, that's why everybody always falls back into their bad habits because the bad habits are comfortable. They're easy to just sit on the couch and watch TV, right? After a mm -hmm. long day, you're stressed. <laughs> you don't feel like, you know, doing all these great things because you're not that motivated anymore. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. that yep. exhale of pouring a glass of wine and just sitting and watching TV, which in the book he says that does sound good, but that that quickly becomes a habit. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, something else that was inside of the when he was explaining that law of making it attractive that I thought was interesting was. I think he called it temptation bundling. Temptation which, building. There, there was one that was actually was temptation bundling? bundling. Yeah. And that, that was basically bundle together what you want to do with what you need to do. Because I think, I think what I heard with that is like, let's say you are somebody who you do really enjoy that glass of wine or, you know, to watch some TV. At the end of the day, I don't, I don't think that habit building is necessarily about deprivation but right. rather about ensuring that you do the things that are working towards the fu your future self and where you're going and, and that you don't neglect those things as a trade-off to, well, I just want to sit and have a glass of wine and binge watch on Netflix. And so I, I like the idea of bundling because it can then be like a first then. And I think of this from a, the aspect of parenting. I don't know how, how you parent in your house, Scott, especially with your, your young, when your kids are younger. Sometimes with, with my daughter, we have to do a, first we're going to do this, and then we get to do that. And oh, you tie them yeah. together. And then it's almost like these little rewards. Now you want to make sure that <laughs> you don't have probably too many of those rewards because they can lead to a series of bad habits. But to put things together of like, maybe something that's a little less attractive, but you tie it with something that is attractive, to incent yourself or motivate yourself to do both of them. And that creates a, a, a loop. That creates a habit loop because then you want that reward. Mm -hmm. So rewarding yourself with something, obviously with kids, that makes it easy. You know, you, you clean your room, you do this, you know, you right. get this. Right. Or we'll go out for ice cream, you know. Or but you get you, your allowance or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And you want to be intentional about the rewards that are given too. Like you said, you want to reinforce the identity and the person you want to become. So if you are trying to be more healthy, you don't reward it with ice cream. You know, you don't you don't reward working out with some fresh ice cream or cookies and, and things like that. Like you, you gotta, you know, you gotta align which, where, who you want to be with the right rewards too, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, for sure, I, absolutely. The reward can't be the, <laughs> you basically just lost everything you did that was good. It's gotta be something that, that like you said, contributes to the identity of who, you're, who you wanna be and how you wanna show up. I love, I love rewarding myself when it comes to things like workouts. I love rewarding myself with things like, if I do it this, this many workouts, this many back to back, that then I will buy something that gets me more excited about working out. So it might be like Ooh. new runners or Lululemon or something like that, that they I tie that. together. Yeah. Um, but it still feels good to get something new and that I rewarded myself for my habits. Or new clothes, mm -hmm. you know, like if you're 
if you're trimming, you're going to have to get new pants, yep. right? So <laughs> you get to go shopping. Exactly. Um, you reward yourself with that. And then he mm-hmm. says, humans are herd animals. We imitate the close, the many, and the powerful, right? So surrounding yourself with the right people that are going to reinforce those habits will make it more interactive in turn. If you join a club, like the run club or something that you want to start doing, find people with social media now and with, you know, different apps like the meetups, um, meetup app and all those, it's easy to find people that have aligned interests and who you want to be and they will help reinforce that too. Yeah. Yeah. Makes our peer to peer groups, even in the profession that much more powerful too, right? Because a lot of times inside of this profession, if we look, we can find people who are working on something similar or going through something similar in our profession. And so the peer groups that, and the community that this profession has, it just, when I read that, I instantly thought about the accounting profession and how we've really elevated this and not necessarily realized the impact that it's had on us as a community or being part of a group. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I, I recognize that every day that when I wasn't part of a larger group of people that were doing things similarly, then I felt like I was alone doing this differently. I felt like I was different and maybe I was doing things differently. And sometimes in, in some senses it was, it was okay to do that, but it wasn't very reinforcing and it was always be easy to fall back into old ways of doing things at the firm. You know, if I, if I had this new idea from somebody and I see other people that are actually doing it, then it's easy to continue because you can see the, there's an end in sight, especially changing things is hard. Changing routines on how you do things and changing your processes, changing the way that you manage or the way that you are as a leader. And so that's, you know, it's very powerful to have other people around you that are doing it the right way and surround yourself with that. So that's good. How yep. about making it easy? The third law of behavior change. Yep. Making Make it, it easy. easy. This is when I got to this part of the book, it started to dawn on me why some people that had told me about this book had told me about this book because mm-hmm. it was inside of the video per day experiment and the parameters and framework that I had set up for the video per day experiment was record one video per day, one minute per day, 30 days and talk about whatever you want to talk about. And that was really by design to make it as easy and frictionless as possible. And I really was trying to give a framework that sets, I used to call the setting you up for success. Even if you don't feel like doing it, it doesn't feel like an insurmountable task. And so I really enjoyed this part of the book because that clarity came for me around that that experiment that, that I created. But then I also recognize that there's times that I want to do something or create a new habit or do something consistently that I don't put that into practice where I think I'm going to do, if we go back to even the idea of workouts, I'm going to work out for an hour a day for the next 30 days. And that's probably not setting myself up for success because it means that every day, no matter what I've got going on and what how I'm feeling that day or how much slight sleep I got the night before, I got to carve out an entire hour. So I love that he said similar where it's like, you know, set up your habit to be less than two minutes, he said, 
and that it be something that you would do even if you don't feel like doing it. Yeah. So, automaticity or automaticity, I think that's how you pronounce it, is uh, performance without thinking. So, that's making things automatic. That's muscle memory. That's the way I describe it. That's that when a habit gets easy and it gets automatic, that's when it gets atomic. I think that's where the name of the book comes from, mm-hmm. right? And if you can make the good things automatic, and he talks about a lot of ways to make them automatic, because um, our motivation is to be lazy and to do what's easy and what fits into the flow of your life, right? And if you can make the good things part of your life flow, from when you get up to when you go to bed, everything else becomes easier. So, and he talks about rituals and those decisive moments, right? So if you start your day with the right choice, it leads to the next choice, and it gets into like habit stacking too, is gonna probably be the right one if you've stacked them the right way and you've already put yourself ahead of the game. Even if you make another bad choice in the middle there, if the next decisive moment is the right one, then you're still on the trajectory to have to have a great day, life, and everything moving forward. I think as that relates to using technology to automate things. So whether it's in life or in accounting, we all know this, that if you can automate something, it leaves a lot more space to guarantee better results and to spend more time on other things and to use your mental energy in the right places and not have to think about doing this. And so automation is is key to this. They also talk about a commitment device. I think that's what this book reports is, is my commitment <laughs> device to read more books. <laughs> that's in the in the long term, this is my commitment device, right? Yeah. Uh, lock in future behaviors with that commitment device and that can be What's your, do you have a commitment device? Do you have something that you've done or a way to guarantee future results? Uh, you know what, for me, I, I tend to, at the turn of each calendar, I decide what do I want to achieve personally, professionally, and then whether it's self-care or something for myself. Mm-hmm. When I say personal, I mean more my personal relationships, professional, career, life, and then something and self-care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so usually those are my commitments and I, I write those out. I, I decide that I want to do those. And then I actually tuck them away because I break them down into something smaller. So this is where, again, there's some, some elements of this book that I was doing without recognizing why I was doing it, why I should keep doing it and what impact it was having or where I should refine my process. But I like having those, here's where I'm headed and this is what I'm agreeing to. But there's no doubt about it that, that for you and me both, this is a commitment right here because I I always say I want to read more. I mean, I look at your bookshelf and I'm always so kind of in awe of all the books that you have behind you. And it, every time that we talk before doing this commitment, I've thought, oh, I really need to read some more. <laughs> uh, but then I get off the call and, you know, go on with my day and I don't carve out the time. And if I don't carve it out during the day, I fall asleep at night and I read about one paragraph or two and then I'm out and I don't even know what that one paragraph or two meant or uh, what I read. So I have to carve out time at a different point point in the day. Yeah. 
and there's a lot of you know i mean this is this is time too right and it's patience and it's really hard especially people like us because i'll have these ideas i'll talk about something and it's it's a lot of motion and it's not a lot of action for me and that's a big difference in making something easy it's finding the time for that action and making the action easier and making the action automated because the motion is just you know it, it doesn't matter what you say if you don't actually do what you say you're gonna do then just full of shit right <laughs> like I, I, I can talk about something all the time but one thing they talk about is habit shaping too and it's scaling it over phases making it very slow and easy and intentional so the habit shaping to me that that was one part that i that i highlighted a lot because it's you know you're not going to be able to just go to bed at 10 if you're somebody that stays up late it's not easy for that but there's things you can do to phase that in to eventually get there and it might take a few months but phase that in and they go in through a couple great examples or ideas there I had to phase in meditation every day and that was something that I am doing now every day, but it's, it's hard to actually just start doing something every day, even though it might sound or seem easy. It's hard to always find the right time. So, this, I mean, everything is kind of shaped around that, but what do you think? The, when we talk about habit shaping, that to me is, you know, if I think about my previous language, it was setting yourself up for success in terms of you can't go from, going to bed at midnight to going to bed at 10 instantly overnight consistently like your body and your your circadian rhythm is going to be really messed up and it's going to be hard to hold to uh so habit shaping I, I definitely think is part of that I also think though even investing yourself into committing to that slow process because I myself am somebody who I know I'm notoriously impatient if you didn't know that already Scott <laughs> uh and I I I want to see results and I want to have something happen. And, and so to invest in a slower burn process or a process that I'm not going to necessarily see immediate results from is always a challenge to me. That's why I do that kind of like, where am I going this year? What do I want this year? But I think that's also why the, the whole chapter on the identity and, of who you are and that habits are part of your identity helped helps me think about investing that time to go into the slow process that isn't going to have those immediate results because it then starts to align with who do I want to be or who am I becoming or who do, how do I want to show up? What am I committed to big picture? And then that means I got to be in for the long game and willing to take the, in the moment, what feels like micro steps, like something that takes less than two minutes a day, probably to most of us, feels like a micro step. And so what makes you stay with that micro step? There's all of these four laws of behavior change, but then there's also something around the identity of invested that you're that you're working towards that for me makes me commit to actually shaping that habit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it is baby steps. That's why people say baby steps. And, and that's that's what the two minute rule is too. It's the the beginning, the micro steps that's the ritual and that's setting in motion or that's that's taking the action to take the motion and put it into action and, and that's where things start to materialize too 
as you start to, as that becomes automatic. The inverse of number three, rule three, is making it difficult, right? So make it easy and make it difficult. So make the bad habits difficult. You got an example of, of something that stuck yeah. out to you? Yeah, I mean, there were some really obvious habits in the examples in the book, even, you know, if we go back to the TV reference or the drinking a glass of wine reference yeah. of, you know, make easy as having the wine, you know, right on your counter when you get home or you come down, come in from your office and you see it right there, that makes it super easy. So the making it less easy is the don't have it on your counter, like tuck it away and tuck it away somewhere that you have to really make a conscious effort to decide that you're going to pour that glass of wine. Or as another example was around the TV and even something as sounds so simple as putting a TV inside of an enclosed case where you actually have to physically open the case and like get the remote and like actually even I think there was the example of like connecting the cable box. Like yeah. you have to take some- somebody takes the TV out when they're done with it, and move it to a different room. Yeah, yeah. You got to make significant. You got to take significant steps that aren't easy in yeah. order to watch TV. That's so that, yeah, like that, it, that's the example I thought of. There's the one of um, remote taking the batteries out of the remote. Yeah, yeah. Putting it somewhere else. Like I, I've done this with my phone. So my like using my phone is is a habit that I broke last year. I had to put it in physically a different room. I had to leave my phone in my basement just so I could be around my family, you know, just so I could do anything. I usually leave my phone at home now when we go out, but I don't even have alerts anymore. And it's just like, a, that's a phasing thing. That was definitely a phasing thing that I went through. And sometimes I think, oh wait, you know what? life was just so much easier when I saw all my alerts because then I didn't miss things or then I was able to keep up with everything. But everything else kind of suffered too. So all of these things mm -hmm. it could be a double-edged sword. You'll always find reasons to justify the bad habits. I think part of that too is, is finding the right commitment device and ways to lock in the behavior. Mm -hmm. Cancel the cable, right? You know, those, those kind of things. Cancel yep. the Netflix subscription. Yep. So fourth law of behavior change make it satisfying. Yeah, I liked I liked reading about this one because it all made perfect sense that of course you want it to be satisfying in life. I think as humans we we're always looking for satisfaction in things, especially quick satisfaction and that again if we go back to like playing the long game or investing yourself over time with baby steps that it doesn't necessarily feel satisfying in the moment to do that two minutes. He didn't really get anything from it. The rewards come in later, but he really identified that it's important to have some, some elements of satisfaction inside of that when you might get the rewards from these, this investment of your time and these habits later, not now. So the thing that stood out for me is he said, what is rewarded is repeated. I, I liked reading that because I just think that there's so many times that I have had a habit and I've fallen off. And then I think back on it, it's like, there was nothing that gave me joy or got me excited in that moment. And I'm impatient, right? And so I wanted the reward and it didn't come because I didn't stick to it long enough and I didn't set myself up for having something satisfying along the way. Well, and it's it's measuring the right things too. And this this goes back into 
you know, rewarding the kids for doing something, giving them a reward, right? Um, one, one interesting point was that measuring the right things can make it rewarding. So if you're tracking the right things, like sometimes if you're trying to lose weight and you're exercising, looking at the scale, this is one of the examples in the book, is not the right thing to track because that's not going to change quickly. It may not even change over after a few weeks or a month. If your brain can see those rewards immediately, those are the things that you know we, we can't see on the scale. So the, just the fact that you are exercising, you're seeing all those boxes checked off in a habit tracker. A habit tracker itself is the reward that you see there, that you're doing that. And then if you've hit a certain number of days and you reward yourself with a new pair of runners, just keeping these things on track, tracking them, making them obvious, like the actual habit tracking is part of the rewards. It says habit tracking is obvious, it's attractive, and satisfying. I think sometimes we also overthink as adults about what makes something satisfying. And this is where your habit tracker comes in, where there's actually satisfaction in like checking a box or marking an X. I think James Clear's habit trackers are marking an X, is it not? Mm-hmm. That there's satisfaction as an adult in that, just doing that, like just saying, I did this today. And uh, <laughs> I've, I've been uh, known to tell people that if I start my day without doing my to-do list and I actually got a couple of things done, I will put those things onto my to-do list when I do create it Just and check, them, check off. them off. Yes. <laughs> so that's, that's clear that we get satisfaction from, I did that, I did that. Or in the case of his tracker, it's the X. And it's the sense of accomplishment. Exactly. Right? And that you're making progress, that you're, you're doing something. And, and I think to me, each time that you, like make a check marker or mark off the X. It's almost like this little mini recommitment to why you did, why you started this in the first place versus if you don't actually physically do that, you can get detached from why, why did I say I was going to read a page every day? What does that really matter? Right. Versus, uh, and almost like mindfully let that habit go versus actually checking it off or marking off an X where it's like, Yes, this is what I said I was going to do. Well, and it all leads into things over time too. So, if you know when you start, when you look at that and you see that all of those X's and you see you've accomplished that, it's like okay, all of this, and then all of a sudden the scale looks. You hadn't checked the scale in a in a few <laughs> weeks or a month, and then wait, I'd lost ten pounds. You know, <laughs> all, all the things like. At, at our firm, it's like all the things that I changed that were hard to change. You know, now we look at the bottom line or we look at the the other metrics and the other things. So it's it's tracking the right things too. So we track leading indicators at the firm and we track all of the things. And basically that's, that's the habits, all of the right things that we could be doing, the number of client meetings or that is time blocking these different things that they're tracking and just the fact that they're tracking it and we're looking at it each week leads to less turnover for clients less i mean for me i track how many hours i slept and that's something i track anyway but it it does result in better numbers uh, better sales numbers too i mean we look at the correlation between those so we we track our leading indicators there so at your firm if you could find different things that if I did this, it should lead to the right results. 
and keep that loop open because as you, you can reinforce those if you see that there is a correlation between doing one thing and it leading to something else. Do you have any good leading indicators that come to mind? Yeah, sleep for me is a big one, for sure. I think sleep's so important in terms of how much sleep I get. And uh, for me, it's not sales calls, but it's more so around. I, I like to have time where I can be creative and just sit and think because I spend so much time absorbing ideas from accounting professionals and whether that's in calls or it's on social or from through my team and they just talk to some accounting professionals. And I, I really, if I don't take the time to actually sit with that and say, what, what can we do with this? What can uh, we create for content or what can I speak to or give back? What can we give to the profession that might be helpful? I, I find that if I don't have enough sleep that I, even if I have those moments to do it, I'm not very good at it because I just, I'm tired and I'm thinking about the other things I need to do versus it's like, no, this is my creative time and I love this time when I'm refreshed versus when I'm not. It's kind of feels almost like a waste and I end up like, oh, I'll do this another day and then I go on and do, check off some other things on my to-do list, which end up being the the black hole of email or some of the things that we all uh, well, kind of have sitting in the background. Yeah. And that's having a good plan for when the habits slide off track too. And when the things slide off track, having a good plan to get that in place, because one statistic here, he talks about the avoiding a 33% loss is better than a 50% gain. But basically what it's saying is avoid missing more than one day of a habit because it's going to be harder to get back to where you were that that normalcy that you had that way that you felt after meditating the way that you like the way that you're able to react after getting a good night's sleep it's harder to get back there if you've let it slip for a few days too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep i i like that reference too and i think in that same chapter without finding it specifically in the book it's 201 is the page okay. of Thanks. And he, I think right in around there, he says, it's better to do less than you hoped than to do nothing at all. And to me, this is the idea of like, sometimes those days that we miss. So take meditating as an example. Uh, sleep's a little more challenging because other things impact your sleep. But let's say you commit to, I'm going to meditate for two minutes every day. And then for whatever reason, you can't even do two minutes for whatever reason, uh, do one, right? Versus one missing, breath. yeah, versus missing a day entirely. Mm -hmm. So I found that uh, really kind of hit me, hit home for me where it's like, you know what? Well, it also even, keeps your record straight. And yeah. yeah, it keeps your, your tracking so you can still check the box. If you've made that very, very easy, then you can check the box for that day too. If it's just showing up at the gym, is checking the box, just walking inside the gym and maybe not even working out. <laughs> yep. Just because, getting there. Yeah. Just getting there is, is usually half the battle anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. He basically says that showing up is the habit being to show up as opposed to the habit being to do all the things. Right. And, and I think that that was as somebody who can often feel busy with being a mom and, and all the things that we've all got going on as parents and entrepreneurs, et cetera, it can just feel burdensome to think about, I have to do one more thing 
versus it feels lighter to me to think I have to show up. Um, my habit is to show up. And then if I don't, if I don't do anything more than just show up at the gym, then at least I did that much. Keep right? showing up. And that's, that's mm-hmm. what everybody says. Cause it's, it may feel like you're not getting anywhere, but just showing up is, is actually enough. Cause you're going to have really good days <laughs> and you're going to have bad days, but the bad days don't matter as much if you showed up. And that's yep. the enemy of success is boredom. First, it, I mean, it, and that's, that was what was really interesting to me. And I think we can, to be continued, and as we close it out, part three will be the reflection. We did get through the four laws. Let's re- repeat those laws, right? Yep. We've got the four laws of behavior change. Make it obvious. Make it attractive. Make it easy. And make it satisfying. And the four laws to break a habit is make it invisible, make it unattractive, make it difficult, and make it unsatisfying. Nice. So we'll get to part three next time. Thanks, Twyla. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. <laughs> <laughs>